This is the Daily Coaching Podcast, bringing you thoughts, discussions and expert insight into all things football and coaching. Around that time, while I was sat at home recovering, the Millwall Lionesses job came up. A journalist that wrote a piece about me being a genuine yeah. candidate for, for the England role. In today's episode of the A Manager Journey series, I am joined by professional manager Lee Birch. Most recently, Lee has held the manager's position at FA Women's Championship side London Bees, but has previously managed at Millwall Lionesses, Yeovil United, and has held a range of roles within the FA. We talk on his journey into coaching that started at just the age of 14, managing at first team level in both the men's and women's game, his values that have influenced both his coaching and playing style, winning LMA Manager of the Year, and how a journalist backed him as a genuine contender for the Lionesses job. This is a journey that you don't want to miss out on hearing about, so let's get into it. And if you can, can you just kind of start us off from your first journeys within football, but also specifically coaching, uh, kind of taking us up to where we are now? Uh, yeah, cheers for having, having me on. And uh, yeah, uh, my, my journey started really early. You know, I started coaching uh, age 14 in like a local grassroots side that I was playing in. So I was, must have been under 15 player, 16 player then. Um, and I started coaching like the, uh, you know, like the tots, like the, the, yeah. the four or five year olds that, that come in and five, six year olds that are making the next, the next group coming through. So I started going down and helping out that on like a Saturday morning. Um, that was my first sort of taste of coaching, working with the the real Littlands. Um, and then I did my, at the same sort of time, I did my work experience with the Hampshire County FA. So at school, obviously at 14, I think it was about year 10, is it? You, you, you go in to do work experience somewhere for a week or so. Uh, and I got a link in with the Hampshire, Hampshire FA. So I went into them. Look, I spent a week making cups of tea and, and doing all that stuff as you do. But um, Sue Lopez, who massive within the women's game, was, was head of coaching there. And uh, she... We enabled me to spend the day out with their community coach, a guy called Matt Beckenham. And I, I just went out and, and observed him coaching kids in a school and, and seeing that side of things. And it kind of hooked me on a little bit as far as maybe that's something I wanted to do. And then I kept going back with the County FA, kept working for them and ended up getting a full-time job um, in the, the discipline department originally. So where all the bookings, all the yellow cards, red cards that would come through and I would sit there and process them. Um, but that wasn't really for me. Coaching was, was really the size. So the, the county, if they realised quite quickly, they probably needed to move me into um, the, the coaching department. And that's when I started doing my, my courses. I started linking up. It wasn't even a level one then. It was, it was a junior team manager's course. Uh, you could do that when you were 16. So I did that as a 16-year-old. Um, and then I did the level two, which was again called a coaching certificate back then. I think you had to be 16 or 17 to take that. And I did that the week of my birthday. There was just a course literally after my, must have been say it was 17, week after my 17th birthday, I went on that course straight away. Um, but I got the opportunities through working full time at the county FA offices. And then I was coaching alongside it. And that's where I've got my first taste of um, working in the, the, the female game. Because Sue Lopez, as I mentioned, was the, the county FA uh, head of coaching, but she was also at that time running the Slampton Girls Centre of Excellence, the RTCs as they are now. Um, and she obviously saw something within me within coaching. I was doing my coaching courses. I was out working still within the, the top stuff at the, the grassroots level, still working as much as I could do. And um, she gave me an opportunity to go into to, to the, to the RTC, the, the Girls Centre of Excellence. Um, and again, you, you always look back at those moments, those opportunities. What she also did was, Normally when you have a new coach and we had, I think it was under 10s, under 12s, 14s and 16s. Normally a new coach, generally in culture, they get thrown in with the youngsters, don't yeah. they? They get thrown yeah. in at the bottom end. And um, But she maybe saw something in me. She put me with the 16s. And I was very lucky that I was straight into the 11 side game, which I really enjoyed. I was working with some good players. You know, I had some very good players in that group. Um, and yeah, really enjoyed it. And that was kind of my first paid role, getting paid, Working, you know, four times a week, three, four times a week with them. I think it was probably twice a week in a match day. Um, looking at still development, but also looking at a match day. And that really got me my bug around management as well as coaching, you know, picking the side and, and, yeah. and things like that. Um, 
and yeah, it kind of blossomed from there. And I, I did lots of other coaching. I ended up leaving the county FA, went abroad to America for, for nine months, lived over there and, and did that. And then I come back and, and got involved with the FA skills program, um, which just prior to that, sorry, when I first come back, Hampshire FA gave me another job, which was full-time girls women's coach. Okay. And then from that, I jumped into the FA skills program. Um, and alongside that, I was doing loads of other coaching, still playing in non-league um, and trying to help out here. They were working with boys, you know, on the 14s, on the 15 sides and things like that. So I've, I've always been one of those people that I look back on my journey and, and I did everything. I yeah. coached adults, boys, girls, youth, kids, disability coaching, went into futsal coaching, you know, things like that as well. So I, I tried to do Everything and everything was a challenge. Also worked a bit within Southampton within when I come back from America um, in their community programs and did all that. So again, all the schools coaching as normal before going into the FA skills program. Um, and I was there for, for 12 years and and that really helped me mould as a coach. I've been quite lucky that, and you don't get this all the time, especially when, you know, going back the years we're talking when I was involved, that. I had three or four full-time jobs coaching yeah, and they weren't around much then. They weren't around, you know, it's maybe a bit easier nowadays to get hold of a full-time role in coaching, especially back then. Cause even though the academy roles and stuff, there was probably one coach per age group at Slampton, for example, yeah. but they weren't full-time. Whereas nowadays there's, there's a lot more full-time roles and, and opportunities for people to, to be full-time and to really delve yourself into the coaching. And the first time I did that was America. To be honest, it was the first time I went over and all I had to worry about was my coaching. Yeah. Prior to that, I, you know, I left Hampshire FA. I was working for Southampton just before I went to America, um, just doing the community coaching. But I was working at B&Q at nights, driving a forklift. Yeah. You know, and that was, that was what it was. And that's when I look back, that was my apprenticeship as a, as a coach. And that's when you, you really sort of learn. Yeah, nice. And it's interesting because two things you picked up on there. So number one, like you said, the outdoor world, the employment and football coaching like you said I agree I think that now I think there's a lot more opportunities because I think obviously there's things such as like you know the PE premium fund and obviously a lot more um, organizations or community schemes want that to be used for obviously sport opportunities and we know that we we live in a country where football is one of the leading sports and um, probably more accessible in terms of you know you don't obviously you can, have, you can play anywhere pretty much you know you don't have to hire out obviously like in tennis you have to hire a tennis school and yeah basketball you know basketball courts and things like that but I think that yeah it's a bit more accessible but interesting you mentioned obviously about like I said getting the actual opportunity to coach and I think this is a big problem I think sometimes with these part-time jobs listen coaches have the passion they have the energy for it um, and they love doing it and like you said you as a coach the first initial steps within your journey you do everything you know you're coaching on a Monday night then you do something on a Tuesday night then you do something on a Wednesday morning for an hour then you drive somewhere else for half an hour and you, know, you do it just because you want to learn and you want to gain experience. But I think that having that, like you said, the opportunity to do it full time, and I know it's something like the FA Skills Programme where you're doing it you know, throughout the whole week and you're doing it within schools, you're doing it within after school clubs and you're doing it within uh, you know, centres and you're doing it within uh, grassroots settings. You get all those experiences all together there. And I suppose, like you said, with America as well, I know in America, my experience of going over there was you're working pretty much every day um and yeah. you know you, you, you're not really getting to experience america that much it's, it's more so just the coaching hands-on um with those sort of like different experiences then so in terms of obviously like you said you're doing bits here and there with different age groups um and obviously in america as well where you know you know the history of america and um the women's game has been pretty strong over there for a number of years um was the women's game always something which you wanted to go into or was it kind of just look do you know what? i'm gonna take these opportunities here and there uh, mold myself as a coach and then it was just the women's game that kind of came along or was it more so the passion for it um I think as I say my first opportunities with within coaching yeah. and getting paid was within the women's game and then as I grew up I, I never I never saw a football for me it's just football for yeah. all you know it really is and as I say I was working with disabilities and youth and adults and non-league it, I, I've done everything so to me it didn't really matter where I worked yeah. um and when I come out of the, you know, I was involved in the, the RTC, as it was, or the Girls Centre of X programme then, um, which moved into Hampshire FA when Southampton released it, because I was there during the period when they, Southampton dropped from the Premier League down to League One. 
Yeah. And we had uh, we won the league that year with Southampton Girls. We, we were on the pitch at St Mary's getting presented the trophy the last game of the season. They're going, well done, you know, the, the girls here have won the, won the league, we beat the Arsenals, the Chelsea's and everyone. And then um, <clears throat> that pre-season, they dropped it all. They got rid of it because, again, it was the first programme to go because the club had dropped into League One. And that was being funded by a community programme at the time. So it all went and Hampshire FA had to pick that up. So I worked within that. But my last season within the Girls' Centre of Excellence at Hampshire, I don't think we lost the game. You know, we, we, we had a really good group, the likes of Millie Farrow and Laura Rafferty were in that team. And um, we had a really strong team. And I kind of felt after doing it for a few years, I didn't maybe have that challenge anymore. Um, so that's when I decided to move away and move into non-league stuff and, and within the men's game. Um, and I just kept sort of an eye on the women's game, mainly through knowing all these players that have come through, as I say, Laura yeah. and, and Millie doing what they've done. There was, there was a, lots of other girls that have gone on to do, to do well. Um, Sarah Kempson was num- one that I ended up signing for Millwall later on and things. So I kept an eye on all these players. So I always had an eye on the women's game. But when I was there, there was no WSL. There was no pathway for coaches, yeah. you know, with the England set up and things like that, like there is nowadays. And I, I felt I'd done my, my time within that, uh, you know, era. And um, I was I was probably looking to see where I was going. I think the non-league route was where it was it was starting to work for me. Um, and I was I was slow. I was doing okay there and work within management within within that and probably moving up there. And I broke my leg playing in a game. And while I was sat. Now, still in his skills program at the time, while I was sat at home recovering, the Millwall Lionesses job came up. And two people that were involved in the skills program, Lauren Phillips, who, was, who went on to be my assistant, um, was there. So I just contacted Lauren and said, look, what's the situation? You know, when, when do you train? Yeah. What do you do? I know it's far away, but it kind of piqued my interest. I was leaving the non-league club. I was leaving. Um, and I basically thought, you know what? Let's, let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at it. And I went along and watched Millwall versus Bristol. And... The, the, the whole WSL and WSL2 as it was then had sort of come on board and I thought I liked it. You know, it was it was like the non-league game where I'd come, but a bit more professional in lots of areas. Same sort of crowd, same sort of way it was moving. Um, and yeah, I just decided to, to give it a go and, and dive back in. There lots of travelling because I live in Southampton, always have yeah. done. Um, and yeah, so I ended up back into the game really through through and you know it's funny you know breaking my leg was one of the hardest things you know physically and you know and mentally in some ways and on the family to deal with but if that hadn't happened I probably wouldn't be where I am now because yeah. I, I would have probably stayed in the men's non-league game you know and I had offers to stay and, and to keep pushing up there and some very good links and got, I know a lot of very good people in 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 that that side of the game but yeah the meal opportunity come along and I went along and uh yeah it's it's been brilliant ever since really and it's somewhere that for me I've seen the growth in the game and seen the players I worked before doing well so yeah I never really aimed and I'm not one of those people that thinks you know in five years time I'll be doing x y and z you know because I never would have said I'd have been I never would have said I've been back where I am now so um, I'm always quite open to it but I'm really pleased that the opportunities come along and I'm enjoying every second second of it It's, it's going well and you know the the football and everything's getting getting better and better. Nice, and and I think the thing is as well. It's like you said. I think it's actually like a player. I kind of associate co- coaches and players to quite similar patterns and paths and things like that. And I think like with players, I always say to players, it's 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 good to get experience in all different environments. You know, like you said there, you've obviously had experiences of coaching five year olds, experiences of coaching. Um, you know, the older age groups um, abroad in England, men's games, women games, and. I think that having those experiences, like you say, football is for everyone and, and football is football at the end of the day. You know, you're still coaching, you're still teaching the same elements, just dealing with different characteristics, whether that be like five-year-olds or, you know, 18 olders, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you, like you said, you're just still putting in those implementations. Um, and obviously, I think when you look at the, the women's game as well, I mean, I know that um, obviously it's, it's grown massively, which is great to see and hopefully it will continue to grow as, as time goes on. But I think you look at the clubs which were kind of the real pioneers and the ones which were big standouts. I think that clubs like Arsenal and obviously Millwall as well. Millwall was quite a really big club within within um, well, London, but also the women's game in particular. How, how did that feel kind of going there with kind of the pressure, not pressure, but like, you know, the, the big stature of Millwall being within the women's game and, and what they've done in the past and being like, one of those one of those bigger clubs? Yeah, I, I, I think it was. I think it was just exciting. 
And I think yeah. when I went there and I saw that and met the players and sort of see the leagues you're playing in and the, the teams you're playing against, um, yeah, for me it was it was just a case of let's get in there and and get going. And at the time we also were playing at the Den, yeah. So that was that was great <clears throat> just to be out there as a manager and be working at the Den. And we, we moved away after that season, but. Um, yeah, it, it it was good, and you know it's a shame. Obviously, you know what happened with with regards to Millwall, and yeah. I'm sure the Lionesses will be be back, and um, you've got another club in London City that will will continue to push and hopefully add to the add to the game and to the community. So it it's it, it was a, it is a big club, it, and, and I really enjoyed my time there. You know, it, when I went there, they were second bottom of Hampton on a game since the beginning of the season, and it was a yeah. case of let's go and and give it a go and. The club was so built and maybe ready for for, for driving on, and it, it it will always be one of those that I always look back and go, it was a shame because at any other season we would have gone up, yeah. you know, if, yeah. the, if the couple of things that happened around licensing and, and and all that lot. But we knew at the beginning of the year that no matter what we'd done, we weren't going to go up, and it was such a shame that this whole transitional period there has been teams that have been the victims of it, yeah. you know. Millwall and, and Doncaster Bell, Sunderland, and, and obviously it happened to me again at Yeovil. So, and, and there's other sides that have that have had that, and you know, there's there's teams that through COVID as well have had, you know, yeah. unfortunately have, have lost out on potential jumping up a league that were doing well, and they've got to try to go again. So, yeah, I mean, through this whole period, it, it, it has been tough, and but I I loved it, at Millwall. I, re- I really did. I re- really enjoyed it. We had a good group of girls there, but I got to build over a period which was the big thing. And I was quite lucky. We had the spring series where we moved from the summer to the, to the winter. So the spring series was basically half a season in, in the middle. So it gave me a couple of extra, or an extra transfer window, gave me an extra yeah. opportunity to, to work with, with, with my team and um, keep building, but, you know, bring in the players I wanted to. And, and, and that really helped us get to the point where, where we started doing really well. Um, but yeah, I think as you said earlier about the game being the same, for, for, for all like it, football is is a game and there's obviously differences between the women's and the men's and uh, you know we're going to watch an under sevens game yep. there isn't at the end of the day it's two goals players in the middle yep. and, and the fundamentals of the game are there but also for me I've always said it's also like management and coaching is about people about yep. working with people and again like to be a good manager and to you know to even to be a good coach I see a lot of coaches out there and I educate for the FA I do the level ones level twos and you see some very good uh, coaches as far as how they present things and great on, on the laptop, but those skills to put something across to someone, for me, the most important things in management and very heavily in coaching. And if you can't deal with the people, whether they're a non-league player or a, you know, a female player or an under seven. Um, and we went along to, and, and saw uh, through the LMA, saw Pep Guardiola, and he was talking about how easy it is to work with some of his players because he was saying that the reason why Sergio Aguero is playing for Man City is obviously technically and everything, he's unbelievable, but he's, he's also top-end psychologically and top-end with mentality. Yeah. So the, these players know how to deal with things. You know, their mentality is elite. So when he's dropping them and not playing them and things like that, he was saying that their reactions to it is elite. You know, and there's always going to be little moments, obviously, where things go awry, but that was what he came across. And, and, and that's the thing. You're dealing with people. And as you move into different areas, you just got to adapt in relation to that. And that's why I like the women's game, because even though um, people always want to compare what does it look like compared to the men's game, and, you know, there's no real need for that. But for me, working in the top two tiers with the players is, is their mentality, their mentality yeah. towards becoming better players and um, and their mentality towards the game it, it, it is elite within this within this environment and it's great and, that, and that's what you want as a coach yeah no definitely and obviously like you said I think that the main thing there is like you said, about the people and the interpersonal skills and I think that's a key thing I think so many coaches which are coming through and I'm sure you see it in like the FA level one and the FA level twos um, a lot of them are so based on sessions and so based on the technical side of things. And, and I've just done a uh, study into CPD and the effectiveness on it um, and people's perceptions on it. And the big takeaway point from that is all around, yeah, people like to observe and they like to see sessions. But I think the things which are often so neglected are, number one, if, okay, even if you are doing a session, the understanding of why, not the how, the why, um, and the when as well. So when are you going to implement these key things? So, I mean, like, you know, someone might come along and see one of your sessions and think, oh, brilliant. But is it going to work with their players? When are you going to use these certain 
points. And I think the when part as well for, like you said, the communication skills comes of, you know, you'll start to understand your players. And I think that, um, you know, obviously within, within, within the uh, elite stages of the game, one of the big things, and I think this is one of the good things which I see within the women's game um, in comparison to the men's game, is that the men's game, people were there for, you know, five, six games and they might get a sack. Um, there seems to be a bit more of a longevity within the women's game, which is brilliant to see because, like you said, you're able to implement yourself and develop and develop these players rather than just, you know, have the pressure of we have to win this game. Obviously, you want to win the game and obviously you have certain objectives and outcomes which you set out at the beginning of each season, um, which the club would like to achieve. But yeah, I think you start to see a lot more development. Is, is, is that kind of the main key thing between the sort of um, different age groups, would you say, that you've seen? So like, obviously... Development is always a key thing from when you're five or however old you are. But is, is that the kind of main thing you try to take away and put into where you are now? Yeah, well, I've always, and it might sound cliche, but it, for me, it's all about fun. Yep. It's really about enjoying. It's a game. Yeah. And I don't care whether my players are, are full-time players and it's their job. It, the, the, the weekend is a game. And if they enjoy it more, I feel generally they're more relaxed and they play better. So I get the best out of them. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get the best performance because they're enjoying the game. So I really try to drive that home. Um, I think some people lose sight of that, lose, lose sight of, of, of that element of it. And um, I, I definitely tried it. So I use a lot of the stuff that I took from working. Well, I've got sessions out there that I do with seven-year-olds that yeah. I will do with. And I see level one students come on my courses, deliver their first session. And it's something I've, I've done with my players. Yeah. Because with access to everything we've got on the internet, YouTube and everything, you can go on, you can find sessions. There's thousands of sessions out there. And to be honest, I'm starting to struggle now to see anything new. I really yeah. am. Like, yeah. There might be slight variations on it, but there's so many uh, sessions out there. And when you've been doing it for a while, you can always sort of pick and choose and it, it, or it looks like that and, and things. So it's very hard to reinvent the wheel session-wise. Yeah. So it's got to be, as you said, about when you do it and why you do it. I remember, well, I talk a lot about, you know, I remember Pep Guardiola actually, he, he did one where he had a big tyre and he was yeah. rolling the tyre along, and the, the, the Man City lads were firing it through the circle. I was expecting to go out there and see under sevens with coaches rolling tyres, <laughs> just because they've seen Pep do it. Yeah. And this is the thing, you've got to understand what he's doing it and why he's doing it in that moment. It's obviously a social session, middle yeah. of a full week, like, and you're working with your under eights once a week for an hour. You've got to put it into context. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's the, the real key, I think, for me, with these coaches that can see stuff out there and all the resources are out there is why you would do it. And again, you see some one-to-one coaching stuff on, on the internet and some of it's great. You see some stuff where they've got all singing and all dancing. It looks just crazy. And it's like, well, what what purpose is that, sir? Am I going to be able to take that and use that with my goalkeeper or my player in yeah. my club? Uh, probably not. But actually, does it engage them and does it do something a little bit different for a, a session when they're maybe paying for it themselves or whatever, if it serves a purpose and, you know, and there's some learning taking place, then there's probably some good reasoning behind it. But that's the big thing for coaches is understanding what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, And I think the best stuff now is to try to find, not the session, find the way the coach speaks to players. I saw a great one the other day, which I don't even know who the coach was, but I just stumbled across it. But I loved his mannerisms the way he spoke to the players, the way he, he worked with them, um, the way he, he engaged with them. Um, something because, you know, the lads were all together and, and the, the lad, he's, he's already done his talk and then uh, boys come out of nowhere, he's obviously late. And he's, oh, you know, give him a clap for, you know, gracing this with his presence. But it was done in a good yeah. way. And, and, and I, I kind of looked at it and went, immediately, I was hooked into the way the guy spoke, come across. So I was picking, well, what can I take there from him yeah, it's not about the session. The session didn't, wouldn't, didn't matter what he was doing. And I think yeah. the more and more coaches can do that and try to pick on um, the personality of the coaches as, uh, and, and what they do and what they say and why they say it, then you, you're going to get the best out of them. Because as I say, I'm getting level one students turn up delivering or, or putting on and setting up yeah. good sessions. The session's not a problem. It, they've just now got to deliver the right things and see the right pictures etc yeah totally I, I agree i think the thing is as well is i've always kind of associated um coaching qualifications as job indicators and ability indicators because i mean you probably see it when you do the level ones and level twos and i've seen it when i've done the mentoring 
um, you go out and you see some of these level one, level two coaches and like, you know, whether it be maybe technical stuff you might take, so some of the session designs, but like you said, the characteristics is a big thing for me, which I take away, you know, simple yeah. things like how early I get into the session, you know, inspires me. Well, hold on, they're getting there 30 minutes earlier. I'm only getting there 25 minutes earlier, you know, who, who's it showing up yeah. here and who am I going to take this away from? So yeah, I agree. I think the, the characteristics is a, is, a, is, a, is a big thing from it. Um, and, and also as well, I think um, you were saying obviously about, like you said, around, you know, understanding when and, and how to use it. I think the big thing is, is that like we were saying earlier, people will see things and they'll copy it. And I think one of the big things with social media and something that I definitely try and do on, on the page, the daily coaching page is um, even necessarily shine light on the ones who aren't the most vocal. But I think sometimes depending on, like you said, like Pep Guardiola, you know, someone sees a session from him. I think he could probably just kick a football and someone will go, wow, amazing. You know, I'm going to do that now. And, you know, they almost, because they're the most vocal or because they got positions and I think people just are influenced by that. Whereas, you know, I've seen some very creative people and very uh, people with some great characteristics who don't get the light on them as much and, you know, aren't in brilliant positions, but you do, you take things away. And I think that that's, the whole the whole aspect of coaching really you know taking things and making it making it your own really um yeah during during lockdown obviously the last dance the the the, the basketball documentary yeah. was was very heavily sort of praised through just being a great program but and showing what michael jordan was about but for me and i'm sure lots of our coach out there everyone's watching phil jackson yeah you know and, and going what's he doing and the the bit when he he allows dennis rodman to go away and, yeah. and do what he had to do and Everyone knows that, and, and he knows what Red Woman was going to like. He probably knew he wasn't going to come back in time, yeah. but he had to deal with him in a certain way in relation to how he dealt with Jordan, how he dealt, and that is that is top level management and, and, and understanding and getting that out of get it, because he got the results out of him. Obviously, yeah. if Robin had come back and hadn't been the the player he was, then I'm sure he would have got a different tack yeah. with him. But something as simple as knowing your player that well to understand, I'm going to give him his lead. I'm going to let him go and do this. And all the other players probably going, you know what? It, it's the right thing to do because there's yeah. been times when they've probably needed something from Phil Jackson and he's like, let, let them do it. It might not be a three-day bender in Las Vegas, you know, but for, for other people, it's what, it's what they need. And, and, and that's the thing for me is you, what, what you take is not just a session. I love watching. Uh, I go on YouTube and I will and listen to audio books yeah. from basketball and NFL and American football and college football. Um, Urban Myers, one of the, the best people I've listened to, you know, I don't understand his game, but I love his methods. I love the way he works. You know, I know, yeah. I know the game enough to watch Marathon, but it's it's listening to them things and trying to take those team building and those culture things as much as you can do from, from other areas, I think, because there'll be things that work in our culture, things that don't, but there's, there's always a great chance to, to give it a go and see see what happens. Yeah, totally. And again, I think it links back to the person because, you know, you're building up your, your own characteristics, your own personal skills, your own communication, your own decision-making, your own problem-solving ability. So I think, yeah, it's, and obviously, you know, you, through your experiences, you learn the football side of things and, you know, that's where you implement that part. But yeah, like you said, all those other areas, massively important as well. So um, obviously after Millwall, you went to um, Yeovil. Um, and am I right in thinking as well, that was around the time of the, the restructuring, wasn't it? Um, obviously, Yeovil went to the um, WSL1. Um, and then obviously you went on to um, London Bees. How, how has that kind of changed and, and has much changed in terms of, obviously they're different clubs and obviously they, they play different divisions, but have you had to adapt as a, as a coach or as a manager or have you kind of all still been sort of your, your same method, your same philosophy, your same ethos throughout? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm always adapting, learning, trying to, trying to um, change and... and um, still use the good things that are working, yeah. uh, but also find a way of continuing to, to freshen them up. Um, so obviously Millwall was part-time London bees, the players, the part-time again in the middle when I was at Yeovil, that was full-time football. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's great to, to sort of go through them, them waves, obviously in the Millwall and London bees, we're in a situation in the championship where I won a lot more games at Yeovil. We knew what we were up against. Yeah. The club did stay up. They'd, they'd finished bottom the year before, only scored two goals all season. And, and the reason they stayed up was because of the restructure. Yeah. So they got a bit of a lifeline uh, and they decided to go professional. And um, their manager, Jamie Sherwood, who had done an unbelievable job with them getting to them to that point, um, 
couldn't take that role and, and, and stepped, stepped aside and went into a football role. So when Millwall had the financial issues and again, we weren't sure the club was going to continue, the Oval come and offered me the, the, the job and, and I went through a process with them around that and um, that was brilliant. Uh, you know, I only did it for a year, but the people down there were brilliant. The girls were superb. And it, it's going to be one of those things. I'm always going to look back and with four games to go, we're a few points behind and we got the 10-point yeah. deduction and it, and it wiped it all off with financially. We had some, t- we had four tough games and, and Everton kicked on with, with, with Willie Kurt. They did, but, you know, you always look back, I think there was a chance. And, and, you know, could we have pulled off a miracle? We were probably a couple of players away from, from being where we needed to be. But over that course of the season, losing eight, nine games, 2-1, you know, and that was whether it was twice against Liverpool, 2-1, Brighton, we lost 2-1, Man City, we lost 2-1. We got a couple of hide-ins against the top sides, you know, Chelsea's and Arsenal, but they're very good. They weren't the only team to, we weren't the only team to get the hide-ins from them that year. So, you know, that was, that was tough. But in 80% of the games, apart from against, you know, the top sides, I would say even Man City was a 2-1, um, we competed really well. And, um, you know, when we were in the games and, we, we were just shy of maybe, you know, uh, someone that could get the ball in the back of the net a bit more, probably a striker, maybe a, maybe a couple um, in, in certain other areas. But, you know, we, we just really missed that, missed those, um, those key moments where we needed the extra goals. And when you're consistently losing 2-1, you needed that. And, but Yeovil was brilliant and I really enjoyed it. And obviously at the end of the season, the same happened again as what happened at Millwall. And you start yeah, to feel you're a bit yeah. jinxed. <laughs> and... Um, you know, and, and I felt bad. And obviously, a couple of my players, you know, Bonnie Horwood, uh, Megan Alexander, uh, Amber Gaylor, and Eddie Mason, come from Millwall and have been through that situation with Millwall and come to Yeovil and, and went through it again with me. And Megan Walsh went through it with Notts County and come to Yeovil. So there was, you know, five, five or six players that have been through these sort of similar situations before. And it's horrible. You know, the girls were in tears when they got yeah. told what was happening. You know, they, 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 were, they were told that they were losing 10 points and it was nothing they could do about it because up to yeah. that point we still felt we had a chance and, and that really got, they got relegated in the classroom that's, that's what happened they were stood there in the classroom and they got relegated in that moment and it was really really hard on them because they worked so hard against the odds you know the budget wise we were obviously minuscule and we've obviously seen Liverpool last year and there's been some talk about how they weren't maybe supported by the men's side and they yeah. didn't have the budget they wanted to which is why they've been relegated but I'd probably I'd have loved to have had their budget <laughs> you know what I'm saying and yeah. You know, but it, it is what it is, and it's it's it, it's a real tough division, and it's gonna it's getting better and better, which is great. Um, so yeah, so I come back to the championship with London Bees, which coming back towards London Way has again meant I could um, get across a few of the the Millwall players I work with, but a few of the players I knew from around the area, and and yeah, it's gone it's gone well so far. We obviously COVID finished everything off, but we finished in the highest position that London Bees have ever have done in, in fifth. Where we, we were there all season, so you know points per game wise, I think we, we would have finished there anyway. I, I, we had a few games in hand to grab fourth, but I think that would have been a been a bit of a stretch. So yeah, um, yeah we're we're really pleased and that big transitional of the year that last year, we're we're ready to we're ready to rumble again this year. So the change you sort of going back to your first question, sorry, was around as it moved on much. I think it's moved on massively. The finances have the, yeah. the the game has moved on just from being involved in the championship before with Millwall. Um, we've obviously lost a couple of good sides. The Doncaster Bells and yeah. of the world were, were were an excellent team, and you've you've lost some of those players that have got older and have gone into the into the the WSL. But we're getting obviously more foreign players coming in, better academy girls coming in. So so I think the two leagues over time are just continuing to to drive up. And when you've got clubs like Crystal Palace and that coming into the division with, yeah. with you know the Premier League behind them, it's um, it's great seeing Leicester City, for instance, uh, yeah. turning professional this year. You know, and Liverpool, you've got Liverpool and Leicester in our league. Probably nearly half the teams are moving towards a, a, a professional outfit now. So we're going to be a semi-pro side in a, a professional league, I imagine. That's just going to keep growing over over years. So makes it tough, but it's enjoyable, and I'm very lucky with the group of players I've got for a, quite a small budget again. Yeah, no, no. Look, no as long no, as I get through without losing any money, I'm I'm happy every year. <laughs> After what I've been through, I'm just happy. If, if I can, uh, if I if the if the hive goes bankrupt, I've done. Yeah, well, I, mean, I really am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this is the thing. I think you know. Sometimes, as well, like 
you know, again, the women's game is going in a great direction and hopefully it continues to do that. And it's in COVID, yeah, so it's going to have an effect not just on the women's game, but in general in football. But I think, yeah, you're right. I think that the job that you've done with Yeovil is incredible in terms of, like you said, the, the budget that you had, obviously the, the I say dominant teams, but I mean the teams are a bit more, um, you know, either a history behind them or B, um, finances behind them. Um, and I think that, yeah, like you just said, there is, everyone kind of always focuses on the football side of things, but they, they forget about those psychological things. Like you just said there, I mean, you know, it's not just yourself who's going through those experiences, it's players as well. And, you know, when you're trying to build a squad and you're trying to build a team, it must be hard from, from a player's perspective because, you know, they're investing in the um, journey and the project as well. And obviously if they're going through it, then they're the ones who you're trying to get out on the pitch to deliver good to you really. So yeah, it's, it's that tough balance. And, and I think as well, with the whole, um, experiencing of that and just throughout your journey as well like you said in being able to get players to come across I think that's credit to yourself as well in terms of the relationships that you've built I think that's one of the most important things within football anyway just you know that relationship you have with players um, even if there's some players don't play for you again because of xyz reason but either yeah. if it's developing them or they've learned and they they trust your 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 philosophy or the way that you want to play and, and, and the environment that you set so much that they keep on coming back then you know it helps to build things. I mean, you look at the the, the sort of famous scenario of Harry and wherever he's gone, he's taken his four or five uh, soldiers wherever he's gone with him. Yeah, and yeah. but it's it's credit to the the relationships that have been built across across that time. Um, and in terms yeah, of, I, I of, had go on. sorry, go on. No, go I, yeah, I had a, I had a an, uh, um, journalist say say to me, I was like Harry Redknapp with Nico Crancher and that, where I had Bonnie Horwood and Meg. Yeah. Alexander that had been with me in three different clubs so yeah it, it gets set. but as I say what you, when you bring these players along you know yeah. what you're going to get from yeah. them as much as they know what they're going to get from you and yeah. you know Meg Alexander went from being pro at Bristol to semi-pro at Millwall to pro at Yeovil back to semi-pro at London B yeah. so people don't really see that that background journey where, where it's changing and the professionalism's coming in that there's players that have got to go for that and you, you, you go along that with them and stuff and yeah, I'm surprised Bonnie and, and Meg have stuck by me after being through the financial stuff we have together. You know, I'm sure they they're, uh, they get rid of me at some point, but no, they've been brilliant. <laughs> but no, again, it's, it's good to see because like you said, obviously, if you know the players as well, and it's an, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you want to build a team, you want to build a squad, but you know, sometimes players, and if they do, then they do, but players sometimes will come in for that that particular reason. You know, it might be, for example, when, you know, overall in WSL1, oh, I mean, it's great league. You know, but it's then, like you said, you want to see what happens afterwards. And obviously, if these players have followed you, you know, they're not just obviously they want to be the best things that they can. They want to be most successful players that they can. But in seeing that sort of transition, and at least you know what you've got with your players and that you know that, you know what, they're actually here for the journey and the project rather than just, you know, just want to get yeah. a couple of minutes. And the women's game's so small because you're yeah. talking 20, 22 top, you know, tier teams and, and, the, and the players. And obviously, you know, when you're talking geographically within London and yeah. the South, um, and I'll be honest, some of the best players I've managed to sign at London Bees are some of the players I've been able to bring in. The, the, the reason why they're there is because somebody else, another player, yeah. has told them to come and work with me. And that's, that's a glow. You know, and, and I thank them for doing that. And, yeah. you know, my ex-players I've worked with and things like that. And, and they've, they've said, go and work with you, enjoy it. And, and that's a bigger glowing reference than I can get when I'm talking to a player and trying to sign them. Yeah. If they've got someone that they respect is telling them, go there, you'll enjoy it, you'll develop. And, you know, I had an agent this year tell me exactly the same because two of her other players that I've, one I've never actually worked with, but I've just got on well with over time, but one I've worked with heavily, they told another one of their players that is in, under the same agency to come and work with me. So that's doing a lot of my heavy lifting, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, and then hopefully, you know, you never know. Some relationships don't go, don't go well. That, that's, that's natural. But for me, I, I've always tried to, 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 to keep in contact with players that have moved on and things. And it, it's such a, a tight world and, you know, yeah. names can get dragged through mud quite quickly. And you, but that trust that they've got in each other is huge. And when I'm at a club like London Bees, where, I don't have the hugest of budgets. I'm not a Premier League club. We, we are where we are. And the club has done very well in the, the, the championship as far as staying in the division generally. It's a big trust for the players to, to, to come on board and, and yeah. come and jump into, into something. And they, they've got to believe in, in something. And that's maybe sometimes the group and the other players they see there. So your relationship building, managing relationships is, is, is huge. And 
trying to make sure that you connect with these people on a on a human human level really you know and actually caring caring about them and i think that's probably where things have gone quite well for myself as far as i've generally cared you know when things have gone on with other players that i'm not working with anymore i've i've still picked up the phone checked how people are check you know check what people are doing and it's 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 genuine you know you, you want these people to go and that's what i even did going right the way back to those Laura Rafferty's and Millie Farrow's when they were in the, they were a 15 year old playing for me. When I'm come back and see them in the WSL and catching up with them and, and they're, you know, five years down the line and they're smashing it or getting international call ups. It's great for me as a coach yeah. because that always goes on the CV. You've worked with players that are doing this, but also it's just, I just enjoy watching to see how these players get on. And I've got yeah. players yeah. now that, you know, I love seeing how like Rihanna Dean's doing at Tottenham, you know, yeah. When Megan Wynn scored last season for Wales, I knew how hard she worked to get back into that setup. When I was with her at Millwall, and you know Tottenham was real tough for her, but when she scored, like I, I think I probably you know saw it and I cheered, you know, because yeah. it was it was just I know what the journey the player's been through, and I think for me, if you can connect with people uh, as much as you can do, um, you generally they generally feel like you care. Then along with that element of enjoying themselves. Yeah, I, I think I think we can get I think we can get what we want out of players, whether they're young or or maybe um, on the other side. Yeah, no, totally, I agree as well. I think you know I've always used this scenario of when people get to about the age of eighteen, they would have had thousands of coaches coach them. Yeah. We not even just within football, within any sport. And I think yeah, that yeah, the, the ones that they really know and understand and stick with them in their minds are like you said, the ones which they've built a relationship with. And like you said, are just honest. I mean, when I've done some interviews with players, that was one of the key things they always mention. Just want honesty. I want honesty and I want, um, like you said, that, that ability to understand what I need. You know, some players like a kick. Some players like a, an arm around their, around their shoulder. And I think that, like you said, there, if you've obviously been able to work with these players and, and you're still able to keep in contact with them and, and just, like you said, genuinely care about their well-being, not even just as a footballer, but just their well-being as, as an individual, then, yeah, like you said, I think you're going to be able to effectively get more out of them in terms of when they play for you and you know, not even necessarily buy into what you want them to do, but, you know, get what you want out of them um, and understanding that it's not just for you, it's for the club and it's for them as players as well. So that, that honesty thing's spot on, you know, probably the best non-league manager I played for, uh, you know, still calling Gaffer now is a guy called Andy Leader. Yeah. And, I could, you know, this podcast has been over 18 podcasts to really talk about the stuff he went through and the stuff he did. He was, you know, it's quite shocking. He got some great stories about him and, it, yeah. you know, he was, he was brilliant in the change room. But when your name was on that board and he picked you, you knew you deserved it because he was so honest that, you know, you would be on the bet. If you weren't playing, there was a reason why. And, you, and that was sometimes for all of it, the fact that your name was on the board, that, that was brilliant because you know that you're not, you're not getting away with being picked. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he is honest as the days long, and you know, and, and I took a lot from him. And a lot of players couldn't handle how he was, and would would move out and be, only be in the club for three, four weeks before he's sworn at him a few times and kicked him a few times and whatever. And 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 they've had to leave. And um, but I, I I I enjoyed working with him for a long time because he was one of the first managers that would praise me, but would also the, the praise wouldn't have to be coming from a, yeah. from a talking to your point of view, you wouldn't have to tell me I'm doing well. That was enough just being on the board because he was honest. And I think that's, as you say, I've, I've tried to try to take that as much as possible. Maybe not volume players in the change room. I don't do that. <laughs> you know, he's, um, and it, unfortunately he doesn't manage anymore because the way he did then, it, you know, I, I met him a couple of years ago. He wouldn't work nowadays, you know, yeah. with, the, with the way players and culture come through and, and things. And, you know, maybe some of the stuff he, he did was, was a little bit close to the bone. But the honesty that I got from him as a manager was all I needed as a player to, to want to turn up every week and, and try my hardest. And, and, I, and I've taken that. Yeah. I mean, I remember one story in the non-league, which probably sits with me. Another side, you know, was you talk about honesty. I, I was arriving late to a game, not playing for this manager, another one. And I got there late and he told me during the week I was going to start. And I, as I got to the, to the game, I was late from coaching as you know, football classic with football. Um, and he said, look, Lee, I can't, I can't start you in the game because you've run. And I said, look, that's fine. I understand that because yeah. my fault. I've run late. No problem. He said, but I'm going to bring you on at half time. You're going to come on at half time because he's going to start. He said, don't worry. 
So I was like, okay, cool. So I sat on the bench and I'm on the bench. There's four of us. Only three could come on. Yeah. And um, one of the guys gone to me, oh, you, you're a bit annoyed you're not starting. I said, no, no, to be, be fair, he did tell me I was starting. But it's my fault. I was late. And he said, I'm going to come at half time. And the player said to me, oh, brilliant. He said to me, I'm coming at half time as well. <laughs> then the third sub turned around and went, I'm going on at half time as well. The fourth <laughs> sub said, well, what am I doing here then? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. And it was like, and, and guess what? I didn't get on half time. I got on in about 60 minutes and neither did the other two. So, you know, yeah. it, it's things like that. It would just, it's, it was funny at the time. We were cr- literally crying with laughter because of the fourth guy saying, what am I doing? But when you, when I didn't get on at half time, all of a sudden yeah. you sat there for the next 20 minutes stewing and the other yeah. two, and then everyone's starting to stew. And it's just, you've got to be honest with people, yeah, you know? Sure. And if you say something, try to deliver. And that's what I've always tried to live by. Um, if I say something to a player, I try to deliver that. And if I can't, I try to give them the truth and the reason behind that. If I ever say I'm going to start a player, I've never gone against that. Yeah. Even if I've wanted to change that. And I'm very careful about that. When I sign players, I don't tell them they're going to play 90 minutes every week because it's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lie because things, things change. And I'm not, you know, if I tell a player they're going to start on a Wednesday, no matter what happens during the week, they have to. Because I think it's the worst thing you can do is tell a person they're going to play or play whatever and then change that for them I think I generally think that that's one of the worst things you can do in management so I, yeah. I make sure I, I've learned all those I've learned all those things through the good and the bad managers I've had probably more so from some of the, the bad moments but I, d- I don't want a player to feel like I felt in that moment yeah I think that's the thing as well I was gonna say that sometimes it's the you know, not even necessarily negatives but sometimes the, the the worst experiences are the ones that stick with you for the longest so you know yeah. a manager could have said to you oh you're going to start this week but you know how many times do you remember that but you remember the one which is the one where it said, you know, I'll start, I'll, you'll come on at halftime, and you didn't. So I think, that, yeah, like you said, it's, yeah. it's got to be so careful because the players will remember the, I remember that time that they didn't, they, they said this and they didn't do that, rather than the time where you said, oh, I'll do this, and that happened, that goes out of their mind so so quickly as a player. Where we live in Southampton, we, we have a lot of the Isle of Wight teams are in our league, so we have to travel yeah. over to the Isle of Wight a lot to play. And I was playing over in the Isle of Wight with another another player once. We were in the same car driving over. The club had booked the travel over late because, you know, people coming from work. We ended up driving our car over with a couple other cars. Got into the change room. The manager's like, oh, you're late, so I can't start you. And he told me I was going to start. I can't start you. I'm like, well, you booked the, you booked yeah, the travel. Sorry, you know, it's yeah. your fault. You know we were coming. I'm here in time. And yeah. he said, no, you can't start. Then proceeded to give the number seven shirt to my mate who was in the car with me. And he was starting. <laughs> and I was just like... So I, I, I left, I, you know, I'm not, but again, it's just, you, you can lose someone so quickly yeah. in a moment like that as a manager. But I remember all these things and I look back at this, these management things and go, I never want my players to feel like I felt in that yeah. moment. I never want to do it. Yeah. So they're, they're funny stories now and we, you know, we get around the table and we, we crack up about it, but it's, it, it, it's, it's one of those, it's learning from those, those things you can do. It's really important. Yeah, no, totally. And, and and with that as well, kind of like you said about the, the manager, which you had at non-league, and like you said, you kind of took a bit of influence from him. Um, and obviously, like I said, you've had lots of experience doing coaching. What what has kind of been the sort of main, main influence? Has it been sort of um, the coaches you've, you've worked under? Is it the coaches you've worked with? Has it been the players? Has it been the courses which you've been on? Or has it been kind of a collective of, of all of them? Yeah, I think it's everything. You know, I'm very lucky now. When, when I work for the FA, we obviously got lots of CPD, which is great, yeah. and working with some brilliant people, from people like Pete Sturgis, Paul Holder in the programme, that, you know, had a big impact on me and how they deliver and their personality. You know, we saw loads of FA educators, but Pete and Paul stick out to me because of the way they deliver, yeah. and that and that, that done a lot. Um, and so then people like that were, were superb and, 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 and helped a lot. Now I'm not in the FA, but the LMA, I'm, I've yeah. just done the LMA diploma. So we get loads of, uh, you know, events through that. And I'm sat there with players that have played 100 games, you know, sat in the room with, you know, Martin O'Neill and Sol Campbell. And, you know, they're, they're just the names and, and the qualities of these people as players and managers and things. Uh, you, you can't help but just learn off them and things yeah. like that. So I'm enjoying that side of things at the moment. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it influences all, all around. But I think it's just... For me, is even though I'm quite a young manager, I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. As I say, I've been coaching since I was 14. Um, I've been managing probably since I was sort of 16, 17. So I, and also one of the big things that stuck with me was Les Howie in yeah. FA said, when you do something for 10 years, are you doing something for 10 years or are you doing the same year 10 times repeated? 
Yes, good and point. that's always stuck with me because I've always tried to change what I've done. And when I was in the skills program so long, the stuff I was doing outside it, Girls Centre Excellence, non-league, you know, whatever, you know, disability football, futsal, I've tried to always change and adapt. And I think my opportunities to work right across the game have, have helped me get to this point now. Yeah. Um, and I think so. I've taken, I've taken learning bits from everything from absolutely everything and, and I will continue to because I'm I'm nowhere near I'll still make hundred mistakes, you know, but hopefully I'll get hundred and one things right, which is, yeah. is, is 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 the journey I'm going. And I'm also honest with my players. You know, if I tell them I think I've made a mistake, I I, I do that. And and I think again they appreciate that that they can see that you're learning as a coach and a manager still, like they're learning as players. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll get team selection wrong. I get tactically think I get things wrong. I put bad coaching sessions on. You know, I, I and again, you've got to have the right players. <laughs> I've got Georgie Giddings that plays for me, and I've known Georgie for years now, and I get on brilliantly with her. She's superb. But if I put a bad session on, she'd tell me. Yeah. You know, she'd be the first one. That was crap today. Well, you do. You know, she will. She will. You get into. Well, I need that, and I appreciate yeah. her for doing that. You know, um. And that, but that's having that relationship with people there. She knows she's not crossing a boundary to say that. She, she, she feels in the way she comes across and says it. And, and I will take it on board. And there's been times I've gone back, well, so actually, no, I think that there was issues within the, the players in that moment or whatever happened there. But nine times out of 10, I'm going first person to reflect on is myself. Yeah, wasn't good enough. And, and, and I'll take that. So, um, yeah, so influences from all, and, and there will continue to be loads of influences. And in to say the LMA stuff and me at the moment. It's great just to be in a um, in a room with these people and not just guys from the Premier League. Nigel Pearson was on our course, for example, you know, yeah. and halfway through he gets a Watford job, what learning and just having a drink with him in the bar at the evening, yeah. listening to him and how he is with people. And I can see why he's a top manager because of the way he made me feel a couple of times just talking to him, he was brilliant. But also not just him, but catching up with the likes of Matt Beard, who's who's done great within yeah. the women's game. You know, he's doing a great job at West Ham. So it's not just within football it's within my my area as well and and picking the brains of, of people and stuff so i'll continue to do that and just keep trying to to win games of football and um and enjoy myself en route and hopefully no more clubs going <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> nice i think yeah i think you're right i think the experiences are so important like to just taking bits of from here and there really um and kind of looking at sort of uh, your career up to date so far um and even before sort of like you know the the, the uh, positions within Yeovil, Millwall, and, and London Bees. Um, what would you kind of say has been your 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 greatest achievement or um, experience, if you want to call it that, so far? Because obviously, again, one of the big credits to yourself and Jobby like Millwall, see the LMA Manager of the Year award. Now, uh, people look at that and they think I mean, it's an incredible achievement. But um, was it was it something like that, or was it something not even in terms of the actual? Like I said the, the the women's game you've been in so far has it been something maybe early on within your career. Uh, I think the, the, the award at Millwall was, was great, you know, yeah. the LMA award. And I got a couple of manager months this year yeah. and again was nominated this year, which was probably just as strong as winning it the before, before because, you know, Gemma Davis was brilliant at Villa. So, you know, massively deserved this year. So just get that, that credit for the, for the job we've done um, was great. So, yeah, things like that are good, you know. But I think for me, like getting my A licence was always a big thing. So I remember as a, you know, 16 year old doing my junior team managers looking yeah. at a licensed coaches and being like that's my target that's where I want to be and 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 to go through and, and to get that opportunity to to do that course and, and qualify um was great but yeah so I, th I think so far just adding to my qualification all the time meeting the people I've got and some of the friendships I've got through football just is, is important um like and it might you know Megan Alexander for example she's just announced that she's she's pregnant. Okay, that's gone out there. So you know we're going to lose Meg for for half a season, and you know she, she's announced it herself, which is great. But for me, it's I've known her for a, for quite a period now, and yeah. to now that next journey of of going through and supporting someone in in that sort of side and seeing how they get on, those sort of achievements are just being around people in their lives and, and seeing people go through different things and uh, hardships and like that. That is all part. Of it. it might you know some people might think it is sounds. sounds you know, corny or whatever, but that's just, that. that's part of it for me. And the LMA awards have been superb, but I always live on the creed of like, if last season was, was, was going to be the one you always look back on, yeah, then that's not good enough. No, yeah. I, 
I, I enjoyed what I did at Millwall. We had a great season at London Bees, but I don't want to be looking back going, that season at Millwall was the one. It can't be. I've got, I've got to do better than that. I've got to have a season where, you know, it's better than that. And that's what I say to my players as well. They've always got to be looking for the next season to be your best one. The yeah. one you look back on. It doesn't even have to be the best in far as winning stuff. But why was it the best, you know? So, so for me, you know, I've, I've only just started. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 again, this has just come out. Literally this week, uh, there was a journalist that wrote a piece about me. Yeah. You know, genuine candidate for, for the England role, and yes. again, it is someone has taken time out of their day that does a job that's decided that even if it's only one person's opinion, yeah. like, you know, it was just it was just nice that someone took their time out to write an article about their belief in me being able to do that job, and yeah. and for me that was it's not a trophy or nothing, but it's something where I look at it and you know it was it was it was nice and. It, it, it was it, it was genuine and, and it was good. So, you know, it doesn't mean anything because the very next day it got posted. <laughs> we got the yeah. England, you know, and it, that's that's not a role that you know I, I applied for or, or or looked at. But the fact that one person just even thinks you're good enough for that role is the same when any roles come round. It is is for me and it, it a little bit of a, a little bit of an achievement. So, um, but yeah, my biggest achievements are still to come. I believe that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think, like you said, in terms of what you've achieved so far, and like I said, we're not only looking at the um, the awards and things like that, but also just in terms, like you said, just the development of the players and mixed in with that, you know. And, and yeah, again, I saw the article as well. I think, like you said, it's, it's a big credit to yourself and, and what you've achieved and what you're going on to achieve as well. So, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's going good. Um, and in terms of kind of like an overall, and it's a very cliche thing, and a, when I talk to coaches and managers, I try and put a bit of a spin on it. But obviously, when people talk to players, they say, you know, what advice would you give to players? My advice would be, well, my question would be, what advice would you give to coaches going into sort of, or thinking of going into managing or players that are thinking of going into managing? Is there any kind of key things you'd advise them to, to look out for or be aware of? I think first thing I will say to all coaches, get out there and coach as, yeah. much, as much as you can and as many different groups. Go and work with 30 kids in a school at Christmas time. We've got a piano in the corner and a Christmas tree over there. And, you know, kids will, that's real, that's real yeah. life, being able to deal with problems of coaching. And when you can do that to a level, when you've got 18 pro players or whatever that want to turn up and, are, you know, they're, they're, it's probably a little bit easier to organise sessions. So I, I think having those experiences are, are huge. As far as, as people looking to go into management and stuff, I think it's find your own your own way, your own style, you know, nick as much as you can from other people, but be yourself. If you've got to a point where someone's given you an opportunity to be a manager, then then people have seen a lot in you to to do that role. So use that. Don't try to change and become a a Guardiola or Mourinho, you know, be yourself. Um, And I always say for those people that are going into it, that have been players at whatever level. So the big thing for me was, how did you feel when you reflect back on how, when you were a player, the good times, the bad times, the indifferent times, and try to use your own reflection as a player, try to put yourself in their shoes when you do the things to them. Um, that, that would be my, my big advice for people is really reflect on how you felt and think about how you're making someone else feel when you, when you do something uh, and the impact you can, you can have on these people because football is a big part of a lot of people's lives. Yeah. It's massive. It's huge. And, um, not just the people that work with him, but the volunteers and everyone we've got. Um, and some people, I think, forget that as sometimes, you know, yeah. whatever whatever facet of the game you're working in, it's it, it's brilliant. And we're very, I'm, I'm very lucky, and people are very lucky to do what they to do what they do. You know, for me to be making a, a living, and all I have to worry about is is picking a team as such at the weekend. You know, there's people out there that are going, uh, you know, into a lot tougher uh, worlds and. Uh, you know, I know things can change very quickly in football as much as it's going well. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, the women's game does give you a bit more time. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's also moving and becoming more and more ruthless as more and more money comes in. You know, I think COVID probably saved a few managers from maybe losing their jobs, which is great because we want people to have longer, longer opportunities. But I think, I think we're going the way we're seeing more and more seconds in our game. And uh, yeah. I know it can change quite quickly. So, yeah. And also, yeah. the last thing I'll probably add is yeah. don't come, go into the version of the game that you really have a passion for. Yeah. Don't, I guess, see maybe people trying to get into the women's game as a stepping stone to move out into other games. And 
you know, I, th- I think people need to think about that because there's a lot of people in the in the game that have been here for a long time that are striving and working very hard to get jobs. New people that come in are needed, but you've, yeah. it's got to be the right people. It's got to be the right people, no matter what their background, whether they're players within within the women's game, like we've seen Casey Stoney do. You know, superb. We need we need opportunities for players like that, but also there's people that have been around in it a long time that need to continue to get the the top, the, you know, the opportunities. Um, you know, if the Chelsea job come up tomorrow and Emma Hayes decided to move on, you'd get some people that have probably had some unbelievable playing and coaching careers that want that job because it's yeah. Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. Are they are they going to be right for our game, or are they going to come in, get Chelsea FC on their CV, and then move on quickly? And you just hope that people maybe that are making those decisions are, are aware of that because there's a lot of good people in the in the jobs and a lot of good people that are coming in. So yeah, that's a big thing for me. Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic advice, and I agree. I think you know people need to treat the women's game with respect and and and, and quite rightly so because you know like I said it's going in it's already started going in the right direction and it's going to continue to hopefully. So yeah, like you said, they need to treat with respect and understand that, you know what, this is, like you said earlier on, I think it goes back to the first thing you said, it's football. You know, you can't make comparisons between the men and the women's game because ultimately it's universal. Football is universal. So, yeah, I think... It's fine if people don't enjoy that type of, you know, some people think it's a bit slower or things, whatever. I I like watching youth football. I like watching the Premier League and the league and stuff. But I watch under 21 football and... It's it doesn't do anything for me. It, it's yeah. not it's not my you know they're the old reserve leagues and it doesn't that doesn't excite me that part of the game and and that's fine. Some people might not like futsal or beach soccer or whatever, but you might like those things. And I think what's hard is when people decide to go on social media and you know decide to have a go. I mean, who sits there? I don't I don't like cricket. I don't watch cricket. Yeah. But so I don't watch it. And what I certainly don't do is when a cricketer pops up on Twitter, I don't go onto Twitter and start hammering them. Because yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I struggle to see people's mentality around that. Um, I know people want to get their being a bonnet about the equality thing, but actually, players at Man City are not asking to be paid the same as Sergio Aguero. That's not yeah. what they're asking. So, if people want to try to hammer people because that's what it is, then they need a bit more education around actually yeah. what the players are asking for. Subscribe to the Daily Coaching Podcast so that you never miss out on an episode.